regulation after regulation. I think there are outdated regulations that need to be New changed. government regulations, which were created to protect the employees. The regulations are... $1.8 trillion. There's a regulation that doesn't make any sense. Why do you keep Is this really the best we can do? Welcome to the Regulatory Transparency Project's fourth branch podcast series. All expressions of opinion are those of the speaker. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Regulatory Transparency Project Explainer podcast. I'm Jennifer Huddleston, and I am the Director of Technology and Innovation Policy at American Action Forum. Good afternoon. My name's uh, Brent Scorp. I want to thank Jennifer, and I'm a Senior Research Fellow at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University, and my, my research areas include telecommunications, privacy, and, and transportation technology. So what we're here to talk about today is contact tracing. This has been one of those elements of technology that's been in the news a lot lately with regards to the COVID-19 pandemic. And part of this is that some people have raised privacy concerns around this technology and around potential applications of it. Is it something that we should be concerned about, particularly from a a civil liberties perspective? So today, Brent and I are going to talk about some of the advantages of this kind of technology, some of those concerns, as well as some of the ways they can potentially be addressed, and how this fits into the broader debate around privacy, security, and technology. So to get started with, Brent, can you explain what do we mean when we talk about contact tracing technology? So con- contact tracing is a traditional uh, method in, in public health surveillance uh, and, and pandemic response where public health authorities will, once they know someone has an infection, virus, and in, in, in today's climate, obviously COVID-19, they will, they will attempt to uh, find out who else that person was exposed to uh, so that they can they can warn say family members or coworkers that they recently came in contact with someone with with a, with a contagious disease and encourage those people to be alert and and if if necessary take appropriate steps like self-isolation or or self-quarantine and you're seeing nations around the world doing doing a, a, an immense amount of contact tracing some some more successfully than others uh, and and technology has been brought to bear on this. So for the, for the first time, uh, you know, for a, for a global pandemic, we have technology that could assist with contact tracing, and and some nations are are using quite actively technology, and and those technologies in particular are geolocation and and Bluetooth. So almost all of us have. Smartphones and and these have uh, geolocation features, GPS features, and, and also Bluetooth technology, and which uh, and and they're a little different, but but geolocation can estimate where you are within a, within a few meters, and Bluetooth can uh, let you know when when you're in proximity with someone else with with Bluetooth on, um, and so some some. Tech companies and some public health authorities are, are trying to use these technologies to help them scale up their contact tracing during this COVID-19 crisis. For example, we recently saw an announcement about a, an app that would be available 
both for through Google and Apple that is designed using this Bluetooth element to allow people to opt into a contact tracing model. And that's a little different than some of the, the other countries and the technologies that, that they've been using. Um, there's also a lot going on in different places, as you mentioned, we've seen Israel take steps, uh, South Korea certainly took steps that have a, a different climate than the U.S. does when it comes to contact tracing and individual privacy. We've also seen some questions raised about countries that may have other privacy laws and how would it be possible to have a contact tracing uh, application that follows the general data protection rule in Europe that has a lot more restrictions around some of these kinds of data. There certainly are potential benefits of these applications when it comes mm -hmm. to being able to maybe lift some of the stay-at-home orders, to know where to target resources, to be able to identify who might need testing and who might have been exposed in a way that makes it easier for public health officials to have the necessary information to to engage in good containment strategies and also to potentially know how different how different policies are are working are we are we seeing the responses that we need Brent can you think of of any other advantages of this kind of technology I, I think the the primary one, which which you mentioned, I mean, is this idea of allowing public health officials to uh, scale up contact tracing uh, quickly. So, so the the Economist had a story uh, recently about how South Korea, uh, South Korean, uh, the, the CDC in South Korea is using contact tracing, and I I believe they're using a combination of geolocation and and, and maybe Bluetooth as well, but. In South Korea, according to this Economist story, by giving uh, public health officials access to to what they call a smart city database, they they reduce the amount of contact tracing time from twenty four hours to ten minutes, and, and which is is really impressive. It, you know, the story didn't have too many details, but that's that's a really impressive. Uh, efficiency gain from, from, from the public health authorities in Korea to identify people who have been in contact with contagious people. And so there, there's reason for optimism. The, the, the question is, you know, in the U S we're very different than South Korea in, in a lot of ways. We have different institutions. We have a different constitution. Um, we have different privacy norms and from a COVID-19 standpoint, we just have a, a much bigger problem. Uh, it, it's it's spread a lot uh, to a lot more people than than it has in Korea. So there's a question of would it do any good to to have people using, say, contact tracing apps or or geolocation apps? Um, and, and that's that's an open question. And and that's you know I I don't have um, I don't have any any uh, strong feelings about whether we should do this. I mean, frankly, I. Th you know, I and I think most people feel like we're flying blind on this, and um, but I I am somewhat optimistic about the use of this technology to give public health officials just another tool and, and possibly a scalable tool, particularly when and you, you mentioned this Apple and Google are working together 
on an API on, on operating uh, system software that public health officials can use. So, um, and this will be coming out this month and I'm sure we'll see a lot more news about this, but um, you know, there, there's small reason for optimism, but um, there, there is this open question of what are the privacy concerns? Will this get out of control? And, and how do we, how do we claw back, um, you know, whatever, whatever privacy we uh, give up during this pandemic? You brought up the fact that there can be different privacy norms when it comes to the U.S. especially. And there are also differences in privacy itself that are really important to point out here. So there's the question of in-data privacy when it always comes to, should there be any limitations on what individuals uh, can do with regards to a company? Should there be limitations on what a company can do with an individual's data once they have opted in? Uh, do we need opt-in versus opt-out when it comes to kind of these consumer to, to company relationships? But then when it comes to an issue like this, there's also a lot of questions about what, if any, restrictions should there be on the government's use of data? And these are kind of more grounded in that traditional civil liberties framework that we have, that the question of, you know, at what point it, does the does this type of in surveillance, does this amount to government surveillance? And at what point is it really kind of an intrusion into the sanctity of the home? I think we've seen some concerns about this, particularly with regards to potential GPS tracking. Uh, there, there's various case law at play when it comes to GPS tracking. There's also a lot of other factors when it comes to the potential public health benefits of this, that it kind of raises a lot of questions of what are those civil liberties concerns and how can we balance them out? Yeah. And, and that's, that's why I think there, there's been so much interest in, in this contact tracing idea in, in, in the last few weeks. And Again, we're going to see more analysis and, and more commentary once once the Google Apple uh, API comes out. And in my, from from what I can tell, um, Google and Apple will not be operating the the apps. They will allow public health authorities throughout the world. And in the U.S., I expect that would be state and county governments uh, to create their own apps using uh, the the API from Google and Apple. The technology, the server backend that, that will be run by the public health authorities. That's that's my impression, and and there are, um, I mean, this is this is novel. These raise novel questions for for all of us. Um, yeah, the the apps as, as Google and Apple have designed them require consumer consumer consent. Um, so you, you have to you have to opt into this. It's it's not entirely clear to me. Um, if, if a public health authority, um, could, could modify the API and, uh, I'm not that, not that I've heard any interest in public health authorities in, in mandating this, but, um, but it, it, you know, it's, it's plausible, but if it is user consent, you know, as, as you know, um, there's not, there's not a fourth amendment issue. If, if you consent to, uh, to use an app to, to reveal your geolocation, to reveal your proximity, there, there's not a Fourth Amendment issue, but we'll we'll see how these how these apps turn out. And and as I said, um, countries all, all over the world are, are using these, and I know European regulators they they want they want to have access to 
who who volunteers that that they're infected uh, under the current Google and Apple plans. This would be uh, public health authorities would not know who's who's infected, um, but public health authorities want to know that. Um, so, yeah, time time will tell. These, these are these are interesting questions. Yeah, you know, under the Fourth Amendment, we have protection from unreasonable search and seizure, and in a, in a pandemic, you know, courts will be a little more deferential to public health agencies, but it's not clear how far they'll let them go in in these circumstances when we still there's a lot we don't know about about COVID nineteen and and how it spreads. I think there's also a a balanced approach that can be taken here and an approach that can allow some of these real benefits of being able to have these apps available to being able to have public health officials able to make more data driven decisions that could benefit both individuals as well as policymakers. But at the same time, there are some kind of basic guardrails, so to speak, that could help assuage some of these concerns about civil liberties. It's it's completely legitimate to be concerned about the future potential of, of government surveillance. And so I think the people raising these civil liberties concerns may be looking at what are the risk of if something like this could be abused by the government or or never got the proper checks and balances. So some of those checks and balances that policymakers could consider is when is it possible to use anonymized data? What is the actual granularity of the data needed to make those public health decisions? Additionally, looking at is it more privacy sensitive to use Bluetooth as opposed to perhaps GPS location information? And then looking at some kind of good regulatory policy. I mean, we're at on a regulatory transparency project after a podcast after all. So I think it's important to look at the regulatory structure that could provide some guardrails to protect civil liberties on something like contact tracing apps. So this could include things like having sunset provisions that require there to be further discussion to uh, to government access or public health official access to the data on these apps that is collected. It could include limitations that specifically state that this data can only be used for COVID-19 related purposes or for pandemic planning purposes, really limiting the use. And it could also be making sure that there are appropriate uh, sunsets when it comes to the, the length of the law, to the period that data is being connected collect it, and to the anonymization of the data. Is there a way to to do this in an aggregated form at at times as well, as opposed to a disaggregated form that may make it more easy to identify specific individuals? Yeah, that's right. And, and, you know, and you you touched on kind of my my major concern, which is, um, you know, things that are done during an emergency by, by the government, they there tends to be a, a one-way ratchet effect where an emergency happens and and, and the government takes actions, um, and then the the immediate crisis ends, but the the emergency actions uh, and and government response re- remains in place, and and so that's a concern, and, and also just uh, you know a greater concern about consumers becoming acclimated to. Um, you know, fairly, fairly intrusive public health surveillance. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how, it, it's hard to know how, how concerned we should, we should be about all of this just because there, there's still so much we, we don't know about 
COVID-19. But, um, but this one-way ratchet effect is concerning and this acclamation by, by the public and by public health officials that, um, you know, this, this gives pretext to be, to have more intrusive look and to uh, see ge- geolocation information or proximity location from Bluetooth devices. Um, and, and, uh, you know, it's possible, uh, you know, my concerns, I think our concerns are, are overblown. Um, as I said, that all, all the plans put forward at this point for the Bluetooth applications and the geolocation apps for, for contact tracing, these are voluntary. I, I haven't heard of public health officials wanting to, to mandate this. Um, there, there is some states do have authority to do uh, quarantines and, and self-isolation. Uh, states have been doing this for 200 years. Um, and and some, some cities and states are, are using apps to enforce quarantines. But on, on the contact tracing issue, um, you know, this idea, I think it's attractive to a lot of people. You, you use, you have an app running and, and if you come in contact with someone who later tests positive, you receive a notification that, that you were exposed to someone who tested positive. I think a lot of people, uh, would, would want that information. And, and I think many people will take up, uh, the public health apps that come out in, in the next few weeks. But, uh, but there, we, we, we're, we're all learning about this in real time and, and, and learning about the privacy issues and fourth amendment issues in, in real time, uh, which, which is why we, we need to have conversations like the one we're having right now and, and understand how the technology works and, and what the risks are. You're right. We are really having these conversations very quickly and, and in real time. I will say, I think one of the advantages of a, of an overall regulatory framework that really enables innovation is that ideally if this is something that's useful, the apps are able to be developed in very quick time with very little barriers to entry. And so when we start thinking about what additional regulations are needed, we want to make sure that we're focusing on regulations that are are truly needed to prevent um, these kind of civil liberties abuses we're concerned about or to prevent, you know, real serious harm and not regulations that may just create additional barriers for someone who is really trying to do something very beneficial. I think you also bring up a really good point, Brent, about that these apps, as they've been discussed in the United States, have really been voluntary and have been opt-in systems where an individual would opt into being notified or would opt into sharing the information that they had had a diagnosis and having that sent to other people that had opt-in, had also opted in. What's interesting there is one of the other concerns some people expressed early on was, was would there be kind of a, a way to game the system? If if I want to, you know, be a bad actor and use this app, would I be able to use it to claim that I had a diagnosis and go in and, you know, put in a false diagnosis to cause some sort of disruption? And very quickly, we've seen responses that, you know, they're working with public health officials to, to be able to verify these sorts of things, that there wouldn't be just kind of a, a kind of writ large 
way to necessarily do that right now, at least, or, or that's not the plan. The other thing is, again, with these apps, as they've been discussed in the U.S. right now, is once you get that notification, it's also up to you as a receiver of a notification to decide what steps to take. And just like with any of the, the kind of social distancing practices, that may look different in different communities. That may look different depending on public health guidance at that particular moment. Yeah. And, and, and I would, I would add, I mean, just, you know, in, in the future, some future issues I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, in, in addition to, to Bluetooth contact tracing is, you know, what, what is the potential of quarantine enforcement with geolocation uh, GPS, which uh, s- several countries are doing Poland, Iceland, South Korea, Taiwan. Um, and you know, could could that happen in the U.S.? What what would that look like? What what would be the protections to to prevent abuses? Um, and you know, we on contact tracing. NPR had had a story recently about they they tried to find out how many contact tracers there are in the United States, and and they I think they found fewer than ten thousand. Uh, there's probably around 8,000, I think they, they tracked down. And there's estimates we need 180,000 to have an effective contact tracing. So I think public health officials will be looking for all tools available. Um, and uh, it's, uh, and, and, then, and then finally, I mean, just this issue of an immunity passport or a health passport, which has been bandied about um, a few weeks ago, Emirates Airlines had every passenger on, on a flight take a 10 minute COVID-19 blood test. And, and only after testing negative was, were people allowed on the flight, you know, could this expand to um, private office buildings and, and, and churches and, and public transportation. And, you know, if private operators are doing it, there wouldn't seem to be a, a constitutional issue, but I think there'd be reason to be, concerned about kind of this widespread, uh, uh, testing. Um, but you know, that's conversation for, for, for another podcast, but you know, there's just a lot going on and and technology is right at the center of it. Technology has certainly been at the center of a lot of the responses to COVID-19, whether it's in the potential, applications like this that we're talking about, or whether it's the fact that we are currently recording this podcast, each from our respective homes, because of some of the technology that we have available to our to ourselves now. I think it's interesting, not only how does the, do some of these conversations around these potential contact tracing apps relate to other potential COVID-19 related privacy conversations you just brought up, but also how does this relate to the broader context of data privacy? What lessons might we learn from these conversations that can be applied to other technologies as they develop that might have similar questions? So while it won't necessarily be the same as what's going on in a crisis and what's going on with contact tracing, we can see similar questions regarding civil liberties potentially arising out of various emerging technologies, whether it's the GPS information of a driverless car or whether it is calls to for cities to have access to the data on scooters or e-bikes. There are a lot of other interesting connected uh 
device questions that are going to arise that some of these debates about civil liberties now may be able to inform us in the future. Yeah, and 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 frankly, I, I think this this pandemic, um, I think it will make people more more accepting and and probably more knowledgeable about the the power of these apps and what, what these apps can do. And you know, for 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 right now, and, and this could change in the upcoming weeks, people largely support um, a public response, a strong public response. Uh, polling suggests that seventy eighty percent of people favor stay at home orders right now. Uh, and, and I think people are split about 50, 50 about mandated quarantine. So people are favoring, uh, you know, strong public response, something I, I wouldn't have predicted three months ago. Um, but, but obviously we're, we're in a whole new world right now. I think the other thing when we have these conversations around things like GPS location data and Bluetooth uses, it's also important to take that step back and think about all the benefits that this type of data has also brought us both during and beyond the pandemic as well. So for example, think about how much easier your life is because of GPS uh, apps on your phone, because you can use Waze when you get in your car once you start going back to work to find that least trafficked way. Think about all the you know different things that you can do thanks to, thanks to Bluetooth, thanks to this incru- improved connectivity and data usage, I think it's important not to vilify the collection of certain types of data or to to assume that the collection of a, a certain type of data automatically should raise concerns. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, in, in this, in just the smartphone economy shows that people have very different tolerances for, um, you know, what, what they'll reveal to, to private companies and what they're comfortable revealing and some people, um, you know, like using Find My Friends and, and these geolocation services and and mapping, uh, but there are, there are others who are very private about that sort of thing. Um, and uh, yeah, in, in the current crisis, and, and this has been the challenge, you know, balancing, we, we want to give public health officials all the tools we have available, but we also know, uh, again, that there's this one-way ratchet effect where um, once once public officials have have authority to do something, they they're not really keen to to uh, relent and and release it. Absolutely, that certainly is a concern, and and I think that you know it's very good that we're having these conversations now. Um, Brent, before I can close it out, or did was there any kind of topic we didn't discuss that you wanted to discuss? No, I, I would just I would just uh, reiterate um, we're, we're having these conversations in, in real time, and and you know the Federalist Society is is uh, is giving people a platform to talk about these and, and think about these, and, and we, we need more analysis. I mean this this is happening. As I said, in the next few weeks, public health authorities will be rolling out applications with proximity sensors. Um, and and it looks like there'll be an opt-in basis, but um, you know there are privacy norms and, and constitutional norms that uh, will will come into play. And uh, it's important that we all approach this with our eyes wide open about the benefits and, and the risks. Um, and so I I want to thank uh, you and the Federalist Society for for putting this conversation together. 
I think you bring up a great point. And I think that's something to really emphasize is whenever we're having these conversations around privacy, it's important to really consider the trade-offs and to really engage in these analysis, whether it's privacy in the context of civil liberties or even looking at the potential impact of various other privacy regulation. I know I've I've been a part of some Federalist Society RTP um, podcasts that have certainly discussed that before. So thanks for virtually joining me this afternoon, Brent. And it's always good to talk about a, a timely topic. And maybe the two of us will have to hop on and record another one when these apps are, are more available and, and this kind of potential opt-in system goes live in a couple of weeks. I look forward to it. Thank you. Federal Society's Regulatory Transparency Project, thanks for tuning in to the Fourth Branch Podcast. To catch every new episode when it's released, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spreaker. For the latest from RTP, please visit our website at regproject.org. That's R-E-G project.org. This has been a FedSoc audio production. 